0: All right, and it's six o'clock. Good evening, everyone. I am Kimberly M. Starks, accredited public relations practitioner and principal consultant of the specialist communications firm, Blue Scorpion Reputation Management. This evening, we are going to have attorney TJ Mahill join us. He is the partner at Owen Gleaton, which is an attorney's uh, law firm here in Atlanta. TJ has yet to join us, but tonight's discussion is a quarterly discussion on legal protections, corporate tips, and form contracts. So when TJ does arrive, we'll have a healthy discussion. While we're waiting for him to arrive, for those who are interested in learning more about being a public relations practitioner, the month of April is Accreditation Month. Accreditation means that you have met 10 areas of competency within this profession. So for those who are wanting to get into the public relations profession and are wanting to excel as a practitioner, I highly encourage that you take the journey and the path of becoming accredited. Thank you all so much for joining us this evening if you want to learn more about blue scorpion reputation management please visit us online at bluescorpionrm.com you also can text us to blue tips to 63975 to receive weekly business tips again tonight's discussion is on corporate startups and form contract tips from TJ Mahill, who is a partner at Owen Gleaton, a law firm located right here in Atlanta. So thank you so much for your patience. We are waiting for TJ to arrive. I'll pause for a moment so that we can get him on and we can begin tonight's discussion. All right, so we should have TJ Mahill joining us shortly. Thank you so much for hanging in here this evening. We'll have a wonderful discussion on starting up your business, tips related to that, uh, corporations, and form contracts. So thank you again for tuning in. And TJ Mahill, who is a partner at Owen Gleaton, a law firm here in located here in Atlanta, should be joining us momentarily. And while we wait for TJ to join us, just to share a little bit about Blue Scorpion Reputation Management, we are a specialist communications firm. We provide digital marketing, marketing, and public relations services. Our services are available to clients nationwide. We are specific to the agribusiness and video gaming industry. So all of the types of businesses that fall under those umbrellas are who we serve. We also are federal and municipal uh, government contractors. So we'd love to be able to hear from you. Again, if you'd like to receive our weekly business tips, please text Blue Tips to 63. 63- 975. You also can visit us online at bluescorpionrm.com. Thank you so much for being here this evening, and we should be getting started shortly. All right. We have the man of the hour. How are you this evening, TJ?
1: Good, good, good. Sorry for the confusion.
0: Okay. How's everything going this evening?
1: Good, good, good.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us this evening for our quarterly session on legal protections, uh, startups, uh, form contracts, uh, tips related to that. So I want to roll out the red carpet for you before we begin tonight's discussion, so that our audience is acclimated to you. I'm going to read your bio to everyone. Uh, TJ Mahill practices primarily in intellectual property, business, law, and litigation. TJ has represented clients in litigation, mediation, arbitration in courts at the state and federal level, both throughout Georgia and nationwide. In the area of intellectual property, TJ has represented individuals and corporations in the registration of copyrights and trademarks, as well as handling trademark and copyright infringement claims, trade secret violations, and cyber squatting actions. TJ is particularly active in internet and video game law. In addition to representing video game publishers, developers, and game design companies, both large and small, TJ serves on the board of directors for the Georgia Game Developers Association. TJ has litigated infringement actions on behalf of authors, Artists and musicians, and also represents clients in licensing and royalty disputes. Welcome, TJ.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here again.
0: Yes, absolutely. We always have great discussions. Yes, and tonight's uh, discussion is is a very important one because there are people who are wanting to start up businesses all the time, especially uh, those. Uh, who are in indie games? Who want to be able to establish a gaming studio? So tonight is an opportunity to learn about what what that involves. So Absolutely. I'll let you take it from here. TJ, share with us how do you set up a corporation or game studio for success?
1: Planning. So the big the big issue is well. How do you set yourself up for success is set up a corporation. We'll talk about that in a second. But the big issue is think before you jump. There's, there's, there's nothing that can replace pre-planning. And if I had, uh, if every client who came to me for a litigation problem had come to me a year or two years or five years before for some business advice or counseling, they might not even have that litigation problem, or at least it would be a whole lot easier to resolve. So the, the best thing you can do is think ahead through the process. And, you know, you're, you're right that now is a, is a time when lots of people are, are thinking of starting up companies. I, I've been in this business a long time, and uh, I've seen two real spikes in people coming to me to set up companies. One was in 2008, 2009. One was in 2020. When you lose your regular job or suddenly have free time at home and want to do something you've been thinking about either full-time or on the side people tend to start developing apps developing games bringing out a new company getting some side hustle going and it's a great time to do that and certainly there's there's no reason that you can't all take that entrepreneurial leap but you want to take that entrepreneurial leap while thinking where you're going to land so let me say let me go back to what i said a minute ago which is the best thing to do to set your company up for success is to set up your company uh, or your corporation And, and why i say that is if you're doing any business if if anything happens in that business if that business gets sued or has claims against it or has debts and you set it up as a sole proprietorship or just a DBA or general partnership or some other thing, then your your business isn't really getting sued. You're getting sued. And your assets are what's gonna cover those judgments or those debts that might be entered against you. Your house and your car and your bank account are what those people can come after. Whereas if you set up a company, whether it be an LLC or a corporation, an S Corp, a C Corp, even some other entities like limited liability partnerships or other things that can structure liability away, you gain the benefit of what's called the corporate shield. And what that means is your company, your business is now a legal person and it becomes the person who will be sued if the business gets sued or if the business has debts. Now, there can still be personal guarantees and other things. Those are, those are things that we can discuss, uh, individually, but big picture, if you have a corporation or a company legally formed that is doing business, then that business stands between your assets and those collectors. So as people sue you or, or want to pursue claims against you or want to pursue company debts, they have to look at the company's bank accounts and the company's assets. And they don't get to look to your house or your car or your bank accounts unless they can show that you've done something really wrong in, in structuring your company or, or in maintaining your company.
0: Now, I've, I've always heard about the importance of separating yourself as an individual from your, your business. Yeah. and i've always considered it a you know it's it's scary to consider has it has that ever really happened where someone is a sole proprietor and that's happened to them where people actually come after their personal assets
1: well a, a, as a sole proprietor as a sole proprietorship yes absolutely it, it it happens all the time because there is no legal person in front of you you're the one doing business even if you're calling yourself a business thing if you have that company or corporation registered with the secretary of state and, and and fully formed, can they still come after you? Yes. The One of the ways that they can get to your personal assets is by what's called piercing the corporate veil or piercing the corporate shield. And when you're able to do that, there's different laws in a lot of different places and there's always some nuances, but the big picture is when someone doesn't keep the corporation and themselves separate you have to have the fiction that that corporation exists as a separate person it has to have its own bank account and it has to use that bank account for its own expenses and not your expenses and you can't use your bank account for its expenses and if you do commingle your funds or commingle your you know your 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 business relationships then there's an argument to be made that you don't really have this extra person standing in the way, it's really just you. So what I generally advise my clients is when you start a company, the first thing you wanna do is go open a corporate bank account and then you wanna go open a corporate credit card. And when you buy something for the corporation, you wanna put it on the corporate credit card. And when you pay that corporate credit card at the end of the month, you wanna pay it from the corporate bank account. And you wanna keep that money completely separate. And when there's money to be made, when there's profit to be distributed, then you write your check to yourself or you write yourself a payroll or however you wanna choose to pay yourself. But you do that as the company paying you your salary or your distribution so that there's a clear transfer and you don't use the corporate card to put gas in your car and to buy groceries on the way home. You only use it when you're at the office store buying office supplies. Uh, or whatever your business needs, obviously. So if you have that clear separation of funds, of business, of personal, then you don't really have a lot to fear. But the problem is that a lot of people who do run sole proprietorship companies, corporations, they're not always that clean and they're not always that separated. Um, And so I've had plenty of cases, unfortunately, where there has been, you know, the ability to come through that corporation and get to the individual because they didn't do the best job of maintaining that corporate separate entity.
0: So it sounds like the underlying theme here, as we head into this discussion for all budding entrepreneurs to consider, is having that discipline once you structure your business following that fine line so that if an issue ever arises, that the corporate shield or the corporate veil is not pierced.
1: Right, it really, it really is ideal to make sure that you think of the company's money as the company's money and not your money. It's not your money until it comes out of the company's bank account and into your bank account through some clear and proper payment method.
0: Interesting. Okay. That's really good to know. Now I know for myself in starting my business, one of the most confusing parts about starting a business is knowing the difference between an LLC an S Corp and a C Corp. Do you mind sharing with us what are the main differences between the three?
1: Sure. The primary difference between the three is taxes. So there's, there's a few nuances and I'll talk about those too, but the big difference is taxation, how they're treated by the, um, by, by the IRS. And an LLC and an S corp are both what are called pass through entities. What that means is that the company itself doesn't file a tax return. So the company itself doesn't pay taxes. You pay taxes as the owner of the company in whatever percentage you own. If you own the whole company, obviously it's very easy. All the money is yours and you report all the money on your income tax. <clears throat> if you have a business partner and you guys own the business 50-50, then you would take half the profits onto your bank account or onto your tax return or half the losses onto your tax return and claim them on your personal taxes. Now that that's true even for money that doesn't come home. So one of the things that's, that's tricky about an LLC or an S Corp is if you make the very good business decision to keep some money in the corporation as business savings for a rainy day, to pay next month's debts, to pay your rent on your office space, whatever you have, that money that you don't take home is still income. And so you still pay taxes on it yourself, even though you didn't actually receive those dollars directly because they're still in your business and you still own that business. So you still own that money. The, the, the tricky part there, of course, is, is exactly that. Now I'm paying taxes on money I never got. Do I have the money to pay those taxes? So you, you want to make sure that you're distributing an appropriate amount of money to, to, to cover that. And a good accountant is a, is a really good uh, resource for any business. A, a C corporation is not a pass-through entity, a C corporation, which is what would be your traditional corporate entity. When you think of a corporation, when you think of Coca-Cola or Disney or Nike or any of those major companies, they're a they're a C corporation and a C corporation is taxed. So it pays corporate taxes at the corporate tax rate. When you hear everybody talk about raising and lowering corporate tax rate, that's who it affects. It doesn't affect an S-Corp or, a, or, a, or an LLC necessarily. The, the, the corporate tax rate is paid by the business. And then when you take your money back out of it, you pay taxes on that as income too. So you get what's called double taxation in a C-Corp. But you don't get taxed directly at your income level on the money that stays in the company. And the company pays its taxes from the company, not from your bank account on your tax return. So there are pros and cons to all three of those forms and which form is best for you and your particular circumstance and your particular finances. That's a great question for a CPA and you should definitely ask a CPA what would be a good role for you before you start a company because that's going to be a big trigger for selecting which one of those is best for your fit. The other complicated element of these is that lots of these companies can be taxed differently. So an LLC, if there's more than one owner can choose to be taxed as a partnership or an S corp, even if there's only one owner, it can be taxed as an S corp. An S corp can be taxed as, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways that you can file taxes. So when I say plan ahead and and think ahead and know you're going to land, one of the best things you can do before you even start a company is hire a CPA, find a good CPA and get some tax advice on how to best structure your company. That, so that from day one, all of your income, all of your profits, all of your losses, because losses can be good on tax. There are lots of companies that don't make money and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, some companies go out of their way to not make money so that they can show a, a, a loss uh, for their owners, or so that they don't pay uh, a high corporate tax rate. So, losses aren't always negative, but but you want to make sure you get the proper benefit of all income, profit or loss. So, a good CPA is a great first step. Now, once you've decided which tax form is best for you, then you have to decide how diligent you're going to be with your record keeping and with your preparation and. How many people are going to be in your corporation? An LLC, an S Corp, and a C Corp all have different allowances for owners. So, are you going to have any foreign owners? That will guide what form you're going to have. Are you going to have more than a certain number of owners? That will guide what form you might use. Um, Are you going to have multiple classes of owners? In other words, you're going to want to have voting stock and paying stock, and then just some sort of investment stock, that would govern what kind of form you wanna use. So how you wanna structure your company and who is going to be your company owners is something that will tell you what form you can and can't use. Some of these won't be available to you if you have some of these restrictions. Finally, when I talk about your own diligence and, and, and willingness to do paperwork, an LLC is my default setting for most people who are running a small business, one, two, three people. It's easy. It's simple. It doesn't require all of the hoops to jump through that you have for formal corporations. A corporation, whether it's a C-Corp or an S-Corp, if you are registered as a corporation, you have to do certain things that corporations are required to do by law. You have to have an annual shareholders meeting. You have to have annual votes and elect board of directors and have those board of directors appoint officers and do all these things that, that are Required elements of of having a legal corporation, and if you don't do those things, there's another element for why I might be able to pierce the corporate veil if I were suing you. But if you're an individual or you're a husband and wife running a company, it gets silly if you're trying to run a corporation sometimes because you have to send yourself the required certified mail to yourself saying that you're going to meet yourself in your living room And then on the appointed date, you have to go down and meet yourself in the living room and vote that you're going to be the board of directors. And then as a board of directors, vote that you're going to be the president. And then as the president makes a decision, it just gets silly. So an LLC doesn't have any of those formalities. It's a much easier to run uh, entity. There are still some things you have to have. Uh, You know, you have to have a manager who can make certain decisions. And if you're going to have more than one person you want to have some kind of operating agreement in place that says who gets to do what and how things are going to be done. But overall, for especially for small group of owners, an LLC is, is a great choice from the ease of use aspect. Again, is it the right choice for your taxes or for your ownership structure? That's a, that's a separate question.
0: Now, I have to give it to you, TJ. You have given the, by far, in my opinion, the cleanest <laughs> explanation <laughs> of the difference between an LLC and S Corp and a C Corp. So thank you so much for that. You're uh, welcome. I've, I I've, say, I've said
1: that answer a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, that's, that's a good answer. It really is. I, I want to ask this past legislative session in Georgia, I believe the B Corp was passed. Would you be able to talk about B Corp?
1: I wouldn't because I haven't heard of that one yet. Really? So okay. This, uh, this, this is stump the lawyer day, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, that's a that's a totally new one on me. I'm gonna I'm it down right now.
0: Okay, it's it's a structure where you are a company that can also serve social good.
1: Ah. Yes.
0: Okay. So in the video gaming space, that would be. Uh, to give viewers an example, that would be if you are structuring your game studio where you're also able to pool resources to give back to the community, that type of structure. Yes. Uh, but that's something for our next discussion. We can yeah. talk about B Corps. Yes. We'll
1: talk about how those might be, be, be uh, useful in the, in, the, in the sphere as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. absolutely. But you did bring up a good point, TJ, about hiring the team of experts. Of course, when you start a business, you definitely have to have your attorney. You definitely have to have your CPA. So what other experts should be a part of the mix when you are starting your business?
1: So that depends on the type of business you're doing. Okay. My initial answer is insurance. Um, Insurance is always a great thing to have. What insurance you're going to need, obviously, varies by um, by, by what business you're going to do. Uh, are people going to be in and out of your space? Are you going to need, you know, to cover potential slips and falls or personal injuries? Um, do you have, do you need to have advertising industry injury? Do you need to have uh, car coverage? So there's lots of different questions. And again, knowing what you can cover and should cover, the best The best thing you can do for your company and for yourself is to get good insurance against anything that you can insure against because to your benefit, not only will you then have somebody else's wallet to pay those damages out of, but in many cases, if you do get sued, your insurance company may provide you with an attorney to represent you in that suit. So you not only save on the money that you would spend covering any judgment, but you don't have to spend the tens and hundreds sometimes of thousands of dollars to, to get the legal defenses to get to that point. So insurance is a great thing to have up front. Again, CPA, so that you can maximize your, your financial returns, uh, advice from a lawyer, both in setting up your, your company and setting up your contracts. But then depending on your business, do you need real estate space? Maybe you need a broker who can find you the appropriate office space or tell you pros and cons about what you're what you're looking for and where you need to go. Do you need a payroll specialist? Are you gonna have anybody on payroll? Are you gonna have anybody who, who does those things? So it kind of depends a little bit on your individual business, but that's why I say planning your business before you start your business is critical because you wanna have those things in place before you move on. In forming your company, for example, let's say you do want to rent an office or you do want to hire employees. Well, you obviously want to rent that office or hire those employees through that corporate entity, because if you're the one who personally signs the lease, then it doesn't matter that you formed a corporation. Your corporation isn't the one who gets sued. If the lease has a problem, it comes back to you. You're the one on the lease. You want the company to be the thing on the lease. If you hire an employee, again, you want your company to hire the employee, not you directly. If you're going to pay payroll to your employee, you know, can you do it yourself for, for a couple of, uh, of paychecks? Sure, if you had to, but are you taking out proper taxes? Are you making sure you're doing withholdings and your tax, you know, uh, procedures properly? You want to have someone in place to make sure that as that paycheck goes out, you've paid them properly. You've paid them the proper hours. You've paid them their proper overtime. If that's a, an issue, you've done your proper withholdings if that's an issue. So you've, you've, you've it's best to make sure you've got all these things in place before you do the thing that you would use them for. And it's not always super expensive, right? To go and get a CPA and sit down with a CPA and have a consultation about how to start your business. If you're gonna do your taxes with them anyway, they might not even charge you, to do that initial consultation. And even if they do, a couple hundred bucks to protect your home and car and bank account, is a couple hundred bucks well spent. Same thing with a lawyer. If you pay a few hundred dollars or, you know, a, a little more if they're going to help you set up some things or or create some contracts and those prevent those tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars of litigation down the line, that's money well spent. Like I said when I opened this, if people come to me on the front end and say, "Hey, I'd like to pay you, you know, whatever it takes, to review my commercial lease before I sign it and make sure I know what I'm signing. That $750 means that maybe you didn't sign a terrible lease that we could never get out of, or that had some terms you weren't aware of or that didn't allow you to do the warehousing you needed for your business on site. And now you're stuck in a 10 year lease that you can't get out of and doesn't work for your business. And now you're stuck in litigation that costs a whole lot more than $750 which would have gotten you out of that situation to begin with. So I certainly don't suggest you spend your entire business startup fund on other experts, but there are some times that spending a little now saves you a whole lot later, both in time and in hassle and in expense.
0: Yes, you're, you are absolutely right. And this, and I'm glad that you said that because it sets the stage for uh, the, the next question that I have in the meat of our discussion, which is the difference between hiring an attorney who can look at your individual needs rather than going online and pulling a form contract. Talk a bit about that. The, the huge, you know, the, the differences between the two.
1: Sure. Form contracts aren't terrible. There's nothing inherently wrong with a form contract the problem with a form contract is that it's not your contract and what that means is that it may not do exactly what you want it to do or think it does and worse it may do something that you didn't want it to do or didn't know it did and so there's nothing inherently wrong with a form contract and certainly i understand the the appeal of saying "Ooh, i can download this form and you know, I'll pay $100 and download it from this website or $500 and download it from this website or what have you. And then I don't have to pay a lawyer. Well, the problem with that is you don't always understand what those contracts are doing. And that can be critical if they're not written appropriately for your state law, for example. If you're a company doing business in Georgia and registered in Georgia and you download a, a, or, or even you know find a free form contract or something, but it was for a Wisconsin company or a California company, whatever laws and language it's using may not work in Georgia. may not be applicable in Georgia. Um, if you have an even more complicated situation, if you're doing business in Georgia but you've chosen to register your company elsewhere, there may be conflicts with both states. So it's important to know a little bit about whether that contract works for your state. But even if you said, I've got a Georgia-specific contract and it, it's the thing I need, it's it's hiring a contractor, or a 1099 employee, or it's an employee at, you know, at-will contract that's written for Georgia. Well, you download it and it does what you think you want it to do, but does it apply directly to your company does it say what you want your employees to say does the you know the do do each of the elements that you're going to require of your employees are they spelled out in your contract are your 1099 contractors are their requirements and their work requirements and the scope properly spelled out in the contract maybe and sometimes it's easy to tell and sometimes it's not legal ease can be tricky and people think of legal ease as all that gobbledygook, fake Latin that we throw into things and try to look smarter than people. And that's part of it. But the reality is there's other things called terms of art and terms of art are language that sounds like normal, common sense words. But those normal, common sense words might mean something a little different if you're reading them to a judge in a litigation uh, or, or you're reading to your attorney when you had a demand letter. One of my best examples, my favorite examples is is best efforts. If I say in a contract that you will use your best efforts to deliver me this product by 9 p.m. on April 23rd, 2021. Well, you read that and it sounds like, well, I'm going to try really hard to do that. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to give it the old college try and I'm going to get you your product. But if I don't, well, I tried my best. That's not what that means. In a term of art, best efforts means you will use every effort possible at your disposal to get that done. You will hire extra crew. You will pay extra people. You will work overtime. If you're on the way to my house and your grandma's in the crosswalk and you're going to miss the deadline, if you don't run past your grandma, you better run past your grandma and knock her off or walk her in the crosswalk because you didn't use your best efforts if you did. So there are things like that, that sound like I'm going to try real hard and really mean you're going to run down your grandma. So, you know, and and, and obviously run down your grandma doesn't cost you anything extra, except you don't get your $5, your Christmas card next year. But when you had to hire 10 more people to meet the deadline, that can really change the dynamics of your contract. So those kinds of things can be critical and you might not even know they're there. And, and there are lots of other little gotchas like that and contracts that you might not realize what you're signing until someone else is reading it to you. So when I when I tell people that, that you should get contracts, you, you absolutely should. Should you go get them hand drafted and hand tailored for you? Absolutely you should. Can that cost more than you want? Maybe, not necessarily, right? I said earlier that that you might pay $100 or $200 or $500 or $750 for a contract. Well, I write many contracts on flat fees. And depending on the length and complexity of the contract, it might only be $350. It might only be $500. So, you know, it's not that much more expensive than a Zoom lawyer, uh, you know, contract that you downloaded from the web. Except that you know that it does what you want it to do because I wrote it to do exactly what you want. But even if you don't go that route, what I recommend is if you really, really love that form contract, or it's just it's a hundred bucks or it's free, and you can't get away from doing that, download the free contract, download the hundred dollar contract, and then pay another hundred dollars or two hundred dollars or you know, whatever, to have someone look it over. And make sure that it does what you think it does. Because just having someone read the contract might not again be as expensive as you think it is. And even if it's another one, two, three hundred dollars to read that contract, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, depending on who you have do it, and how long it is, it's it's definitely again money well spent if it means that the contract doesn't have some tricky thing that costs you tens of thousands of dollars down the line.
0: What you've just explained is it it all boils down to protection and reputation management. And, you know, on our side, we're heavily protective of businesses' reputation. And starting a business is the first step that a business owner should really take into consideration, especially with what you mentioned as it relates to the form contracts. This Mm -hmm. is eye-opening terms of art. And the example that you gave is, it sounds so harmless, best right. effort, but you're, you're right. In front of a, a judge, that could mean something totally different. Could you share with us the type of forms that use terms of art? Or is it in all forms, all types of legal forms, and we just don't know it?
1: Yeah, it really kind of is. Um, not not every single contract in the world has some term of art that means something different. Not all terms of art mean something sneaky, but sometimes they they just, they, they set out something that you don't quite understand the full consequence of. Um, another good example for, uh, is leases. There's, there's leases and they've got, um, many commercial leases will have a stated purpose clause and it'll say, what am I gonna do? And for example, um, for your audience, we're gonna run a video game company. We're gonna do app development. Well, what are you gonna need for that, right? It's, you've got that stated purpose and they've gotta give you a space that's suitable for that stated purpose. Well, what you didn't necessarily have in there, what the landlord didn't know, or you didn't think to put in, or is it in the contract and doesn't necessarily then come as part of your lease is, do you have a space to run a server bank? Do you have the electricity or the, you know, cooling or the other elements that you're going to need to have an entire room full of servers running 24 seven? Is that something that's allowed in your lease depending on what your stated purpose says? Maybe not. I referenced earlier that you might be stuck in a lease that doesn't allow your warehousing. If you're going to say, I'm going to run up an office or a development space, or some other type of, of business shoe store, right? Well, maybe your development space is gonna be anticipated to have a server or maybe you put that server room in there with your with your air conditioning needs, but maybe you're also gonna have, you know, a big rack of other equipment or some other things that might need to come in. If you're a shoe store, well, I'm gonna be selling shoes, but I'm also gonna have a whole big rack of shoes in the back so I can stock some, uh, some, some inventory is warehousing inventory allowed in my lease? Maybe, maybe not. That stated purpose can be written in a way that sounds like, yeah, I'm gonna be a shoe store, but what does that cover? And did we have the same understanding? And what does my landlord need to give me those concessions? So a lot of times there are things that aren't necessarily a term of art. We all know what a retail store is. We all know what an office space is, but does the office space expressly include a server room, with its own dedicated AC, maybe, maybe not. If it's written in the lease, it surely does. So, so a lot of times having those contracts reviewed before you sign them or getting them drafted for your needs can include those little nuances that might, again, not even be a, a twisting of normal words, but just the normal word doesn't give the whole umbrella that you need.
0: Well, it, it sounds like to me, TJ, that for entrepreneurs who are starting their business, considering starting their business, that an attorney is, is important because you're, you're not only building a relationship, but you have someone who is an expert at knowing what it is that you want to accomplish and can be your second pair of eyes and ears, in other words.
1: Well, hundred percent. I, I would agree with that. And, and not just because I'm an attorney, <laughs> but, but yes, I mean, it really is the kind of thing that can help keep you from getting in more expensive problems down the line. But not only do attorneys help you get your, um, you know, your, your, your ducks in a row, as far as getting your corporate formed up, getting your corporation formed up, getting your contracts in order, getting your employees properly employed, but we all know other people. Who do the things you need? I'm a business lawyer, and that means that, as a matter of course, in my career, I have met plenty of CPAs. I have met plenty of payroll companies. I have met plenty of uh, insurance brokers. I-, I have met plenty of of re- of, of uh, leasing agents and 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 space brokers. So, not only are we a good resource for Making sure you have your your eyes dotted and your T's crossed, and most importantly, in the way you thought they were. But we can also be a good resource for helping you find those other people to protect your interests all around. Now, the same is true the other way, right? If you go to your CPA first, if you have a great CPA friend, I bet your CPA friend knows plenty of lawyers. <laughs> so we we all tend to travel in the same in the same circles. But um, having that professional team doesn't need to cost you a lot of money at the start doesn't need to even be something that's that you heavily utilize at the start but just knowing that you have somebody whose number is is in your phone and you can pick them up and you can call them when you have a question um you know it's it's invaluable and the reality is that that most of us you know we're here to help you we we, we want to help our clients we want to make sure our clients are successful because the better you do, the more you can hire me to do for you down the line. So, so we want you to succeed. And a lot of times, you know, when I talk about it, not costing a ton of money up front, sure. There'll be a little bit of money to help you review your contract or a little bit of money to help you start your corporation or whatever, but those are all going to be things that are money well spent. But, you know, a lot of times the thing that's more valuable than any of that is, having that relationship with me when you can then pick up the phone and ask me, Hey, I just have one quick question. It's going to take five minutes. Well, you know, if I even bother to bill for that. And a lot of times it takes me longer to write down a bill than it does to to just answer the question. So I don't even always bill for all those, but I mean, we bill in 10th of an hour increments. That means you got 0.1 of of an hour and you're going to get 0.1 of my hourly rate and 0.1 of my hourly rate you know, it's a, it's a few bucks. It's, 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 it's tens of dollars (laughs) and literally tens of dollars can save you tens of thousands. So, you know, having that ability to reach out to me or your accountant or your broker before you make a deal, before you make an error, Mm -hmm. before someone else does something that's harmful to your business and you need to know how to stop it. um, That's, that's, an invaluable resource to a company starting out.
0: Yes, the you are absolutely right. And I, I do have to reemphasize what you've just said, that the service that attorneys and the professional team to help start a business is truly invaluable. What I like to share with those who are getting ready to start their business is that if you are penny pinching on the front end and you did mentioned this early on, then at some point, you may end up spending more on the back end because of a misstep. So that resourcefulness and everything that you have to offer in terms of, you know, the uh, information that you have to help businesses along the way that is priceless. Yes.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, 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 I'll i harken back to something that I'm, I'm pretty sure I said the last time I was on here when okay. we were talking about IP. And we talked about trademarks for companies and how, you know, a lot of people come in and want to register 50 different trademarks. We talked about, don't spend all your money on 50 trademarks. Don't don't hire an attorney to register 50 trademarks and pay 50 trademark registrations. I mean, yeah, Coca-Cola has 50, 500, 5,000 trademarks, but they're Coca-Cola. They have the money to do that. As you're starting out, spend your money wisely, register your, most critical, broadest trademark and the rest you can protect as, 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 uh, as necessary. Well, the same is true for your business. We're not, we're not suggesting that you spend your entire business startup fund on paying an attorney and paying a CPA and paying an insurance broker and buying insurance for something that now is never gonna get off the ground, right? You need to obviously have enough money to start your business and so you need to use that money wisely but the wisest use of your money is often protecting your money's future
0: i like that that is a, that is a good quote the best way of protecting your money is to protect your money's future that that is excellent thank you for sharing that there's one type of contract or there there two that can mm-hmm. really get commingled uh, that I'd like for, for you to uh, talk about is the difference between employee agreements and independent contractor contracts. And uh, those, those type of forms you can pull off of the internet. However, I'm sure that Specific to you know a game studio or and or a company that you probably want to have a document like that customized.
1: Yeah, I I would certainly agree. And and, and it, let me first again sort of separate the true before we commingle them. Okay. Um, because there are very important differences between an employee contract and a and an independent contractor contract. Most critically, in do you need to then go hire a payroll person? <laughs> So um, as you hire employees, employees are treated differently than independent contractors and vice versa. Um, But what you call them doesn't matter. Um, It's what you do with them that matters. So this is an important thing to to know right at the start, especially as people are thinking of creating these relationships with, with employees or contractors If you give somebody an independent contractor agreement and you say it's a 1099 and you say, I'm not going to withhold any taxes and you're on your own, bub, and go go off and do your own thing. That's all well and good. But if you then say, okay, and by the way, independent contractor, I need you to come in at 9 a.m. and work till 6 p.m. and you get an hour for lunch and you're going to work on my computer and you're going to work in this space and you're going to come in Monday through Friday. Well, guess what? You have an employee. And- the law and the IRS and most importantly, the people who you didn't withhold taxes for are going to come in and say that you screwed up because that was really an employee and you didn't do it right. So one of the things that you need to do as you're signing these contracts is understand whether you're really hiring an independent contractor or not. So so that's that's my free advice on that. But once you've decided whether you're going to hire an employee or an independent contractor and you're going to get a contract appropriate for that, for that role, then yes, those contracts can really be treated as as one entity. Here's what I suggest people do with form contracts. I don't recommend you do this with the ones you have to pay $300 or $400, $500 per contract to get, obviously, but there's a lot of free stuff on Google. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of free contracts. Do I recommend you download one of those contracts, white out their name, put your name in it and sign it? No. I mean, is that better than having no contract? Probably, unless it does something completely horrible for your business or obligates you to something you never intended to. So it's not a great idea. But what you can do is read those and find out what you like. Find out what what provisions appeal to you, uh, find out what provisions don't appeal to you. Because when you come to me to create a, a contract, I can create something out of thin air and I can create something that, that is specifically your contract, the 100% written, fresh and new, just for you with everything that you wanted. But for you to know what you wanna put in that contract is sometimes very difficult. And discussing what contract terms could and should be included and what they mean in a vacuum sometimes just doesn't really sink in with what that means and doesn't mean. So a lot of times what I will do is create a contract that you've come in, you've given me a few bullet points of things that you want to have done, and I'll use a contract that I've used before and put your terms in it and create it change it to be whatever you wanted. But then all those boilerplate things, all those normal terms, all those terms of art that, that would normally be in the contract, you have a chance to read them and you have a chance to review them and say, oh, I really don't like that. Or, or, or can we say X here instead of Y? And that's a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot easier in my opinion and in my practice to change a written contract than to create a whole new contract that you are making up out of empty space because you don't know what to put in it. So what you can do with those form contracts that's very, very, very helpful is come to me with a couple of them that you like. You know, hey, I saw this free contract. I saw this free contract. My buddy has a company that does painting and it's not anything like I do, but he's got this term I really like for his employees. Can I use that? And yeah, we can take that and then we can hand pick the parts you like, put them in in a way that makes them work together. Because if you just take the part you like and the part you like over here and cut and paste them into Word yourself, you might not get them to work together. And in fact, you might get something that directly conflicts with itself and could be a problem. But if you bring it to me, we'll make sure that we can get the things you like to work together and play nice. And that way we can make a contract that does what you want has the language you want, has the terms you, you you think you need for your business and add or subtract whatever is necessary to, to make it your own and to make it work specifically for you. So, so that's a great thing you can do with those contracts. I don't recommend you use them as is, but they're certainly a great place to start the conversation.
0: I definitely like that suggestion. Thank you for offering all of, of these tips. From your practice and experience, have you commonly run across faux pas that startups have made that you absolutely implore our audience not do?
1: Yeah, there's there's a couple. Um, you know, the first is signing contracts or agreements or obligations before you get that formation, before you get that corporation or LLC in place. Because there's no point in doing it at that point, you're already individually obligated on all those risks and debts. So um, form your company first, make the company exist, sign things through the company. That's, that's the, the, the biggest thing that people don't do. Um, other than that, um, probably the biggest thing that I see people do is not necessarily using contracts that they don't understand because that's not great either, but generally you'd be the one who'd be suing to enforce it. You know, and unless you put something in there, super terrible, your your employee or your contractor or whoever wouldn't necessarily be trying to sue you under the terms of that contract. It's just whether you'd have a contract that would ultimately be enforceable against something they're doing might not be, might not be great, but it's not, it's not usually super harmful for people to use contracts. They pulled off the web for their own things. It's not great. It's not protective, but it doesn't come back to bite you as often as signing a contract. You didn't understand what you were signing. So when you sign an obligation with your landlord, with your supplier, with your uh, buyer, with your, the person who's who's going to be looking to you to provide some service or or funds or whatever, then it's critical that you understand what you're signing there. Because I have seen far more people come in with a contract that they didn't fully read or maybe read and didn't understand that, you know, they come in and say, well, now someone's suing me for $25,000 or $25,000. or $25 million or whatever the case may be. And I have to say, yes, and they're going to get it because you signed a contract that says X and that means they win in this instance. And unfortunately I've had that conversation more than once. And so, you know, it's not, it's not ideal. Um, And and some things, you know, there's always things you might have to sign like a personal guarantee or things like that. And, whether you can get out of those depends on your circumstances and, and, and other things. You might always be on the hook, but don't put yourself on the hook unnecessarily and, and knowing what you're obligating yourself to is the biggest thing that I think people do wrong. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to fix a problem you have with an employee contract. Cause we can make your employee sign a new contract if they want to stay an employee than to, uh, get out of a contract that obligated you to do something that you didn't understand you were doing. So that's the biggest error I think people can make and, and, and do make uh, in my personal
0: practice. TJ, the information that you have provided today is invaluable. I can't thank you enough. And I'm, I'm going over to our uh, Facebook page to see if there are any uh, questions. I don't see that there are any questions, so it means that you've been very thorough in, <laughs> in okay. your explanation. But I, I want to get a takeaway from you. Sure. Uh, share with us uh, how, do, how do startups select an attorney who's right for them
1: more than anything, a relationship with an attorney and this goes for your CPA and your insurance broker and everyone else too. More than anything, the relationship with your attorney has to be a good personal relationship. You have to like your attorney. You have to, you have to be able to trust your attorney because if, if your attorney is if your attorney is not somebody you want to sit down and talk to, you're not going to call your attorney and <laughs> you're not going to use your attorney. The, 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 smartest guy in the world can't give you any advice if you don't sit down and listen to him say it. And if you don't have a good rapport, it's not going to be an effective relationship. Will I, if you, if you and I just don't see eye to eye, can I still get you a contract that works? Yeah. That one shot thing might work, but you're not going to come back to me. You're not going to call me when you need it. You're not going to want to have those quick questions. So the best thing you can do is is call around, talk to a few attorneys, go meet with a few attorneys and see who you have a connection with. Because if you have that personal connection, if you can have a personal conversation, and I don't mean necessarily about personal, uh, personal things, but if you can feel good having a conversation person to person, then you're going to get a lot more out of that relationship with your attorney or your other professionals. It it, it is just like any other aspect of business. It's all about relationships.
0: Yes, that is very true. And you know what, TJ, you and I have a great relationship. (laughs) Yes,
1: indeed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So tell us about Owen Gleaton.
1: Well, Owen Gleaton is a, is a broad practice uh, law firm here in Atlanta. And obviously if, if any of your, your, your listeners or or, or, uh, Facebook live viewers uh, think of a question afterwards, (laughs) they're, they're welcome to reach out to me and ask me there, but we do provide uh, all manner of legal services from, from uh, business consulting and litigation through to wills and estates and, and everything in between. So, uh, and like I said earlier, we all know other people. So if there's anything that we don't do as a firm, uh, we can probably refer you to a good resource to get that done for you. So certainly please look to us as your as your legal resource and as your resource for referrals in other areas.
0: Yes. And we can find Owen Gleaton on LinkedIn. Are there any other social media platforms where we can find you?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, well, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I don't do much on either one. I'm I'm. I'm an old Luddite, but uh, but I, I am on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I think I'm still on Twitter. Um, and of course, I have a website uh, at atlbusinesslawyers.com, and you can go to owengleaton.com uh, as well.
0: Wonderful. Well, TJ, I can't thank you enough for coming back on for us to have this discussion this evening on contracts and uh, form contracts and uh, corporate startups. So thank you so much. And to our viewers, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Kimberly M. Starks, accredited public relations practitioner and principal consultant of the specialist communications firm Blue Scorpion Reputation Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us online at bluescorpionrm.com. If you'd like to receive weekly business tips from us, please text Blue Tips to 63975. Again, thank you, TJ. I can't wait for the next time that we get together and have another conversation.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me again. I always have a blast.
0: Yes. All right. And to our viewers, thank you again. You all have a good night. Thank you, TJ.
1: Thanks. Good night now.